It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October 2nd, 2014. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, We'll look forward to hearing from you now that you can hear us and we can hear ourselves and we're ready to go my name is jacob gwynn father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight on the virtual bible study good to be with you as well and you've got uh, an important uh, topic planned for tonight one that we've talked about several times in the past but is constantly under attack yeah you know it's actually been i got to looking at our archives and it's been a long time since we really spent a a whole session talking about the important topic of Bible authority. That's right. what we want to talk about tonight. Right, and so we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're joining the chat room to the bottom of your video feed tonight. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it is an important subject. We really, I mean, we could take it to two extremes here. Either you have to have authority for what you do or you don't. You can do whatever you want. Uh, those two uh, our uh, you know, choices maybe, are really your only options. Maybe it's a good place to start. We got an email from listener David, who, who uh, uh, I think comes from a, a different point of view than we do. He says, how do we know with 100% certainty that the conservative churches of Christ are not just teaching their fallible interpretation of the Bible? Because in reality, that's what it comes down to. My fallible interpretation of Scripture against your fallible interpretation of Scripture. And so... If if I were to boil down that comment, I would say basically that David is saying there's no way to know. I yeah. mean, we're at, we're at a total loss. We there's no way to be sure that we know what God wants us to do. Well, not at that. Not only that, it just uh, it comes down to our fallible interpretation about whether or not Jesus is the Son of God. We can go all the way to that. I mean, is, I mean you, who's to know? Yeah, I I actually no deny absolutes. that. Yeah. I deny that proposition completely. And he Ephesians chapter three, the Apostle Paul said. By revelation, God made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul said that he received the revelation, and he wrote it, and we have the capacity to read and understand. And so the idea that well, we're just all up in the air because it's your fallible interpretation as versus my fallible interpretation. I just don't believe that. You know, that would that would make God the author of confusion. And First Corinthians 14, verse 33 says he is not the yeah. author of confusion. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, again, that's a command. We need to be understanding the will of the Lord. And so, therefore, it must be possible. Yeah. So, again, if, if we're going to take this view that, well, it's just up to your interpretation and it's, uh, or, and it's my, or my interpretation, then there's no way that we can know what God wants from us. And yeah. uh, we're stuck in this land of, of uncertainty. We got an email from our friend Chris in uh, England, and he said, I think this is an in-house discussion. When he got the update today, 
talking about what our topic would be. He said, I think this is an in-house discussion between your branch of Christianity. For me to make comments, I could well confuse rather than help, as this is a hermeneutic I either don't use or use without bearing your title. So all respect to you, looks like I'll be an outsider listening in. He goes on to make a couple of observations. But, you know, we we talk about Bible authority and how to establish it. We talk about command, example, and necessary inference. Yeah. You know, those are descriptive terms that we use that we'll be talking about in our lesson tonight. Yeah. But I want to tell you, I think Chris Chris may be onto something there when he says, I, I don't use that rule, or if I use it, I don't call it by your title. There's got to be some method of interpretation when we go to the Bible. How do we take what we read in the Bible and know what God wants us to do? It requires us using our logic and our reason to interpret that message and, and make application of it. And so uh, that's what, by the way, that's what a hermeneutic is. Yeah. You know, some people are calling for a new or different hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is simply a tool of interpretation. Well, but Chris wants to relegate this to something that is a discussion with just our branch of Christianity or just members of the Church of Christ are interested. It's not the case. Other religious bodies are. I think every religious body Everybody is. has to be. You have to be. And it, it, it doesn't get to, it's not a matter of whether or not we need to be concerned about Bible authority. The question is, how do we determine what we what the Bible is teaching and get authority for the things we practice? We call it Bible authority, but in simplest terms, it is how do we go to the Bible and from what it says, deduce what God wants us to be doing. Right. That's what we're talking about. Right. And groups are wrestling with that. Uh, on the subject of homosexuality right now, denominations are, around the world are are struggling with that, and they're trying to go to the Bible and determine what does God teach on this. Now they're making up rules on how they can interpret that, and we disagree with that. But but churches, uh, denominations are interested in Bible authority to some extent. Yeah. Now to Chris's observation, there is some in-house element to this because even within churches of Christ, churches of Christ have been historically rooted in. Bible authority. We, you know, we we say we speak where the Bible speaks. We're silent where the Bible is silent. We want to thus saith the Lord. We want a book, chapter, and verse for everything we do. We want to be able to show from the Bible how we do, what we do, the way we do. Right. Uh, but even among churches of Christ, this idea of Bible authority is under severe attack. I got a few quotes here uh, at a lectureship at a at a Christian college among churches of Christ. One speaker said. We are so wrapped up in commands, examples, and necessary inferences that we don't find Jesus. I'm not saying to put put it aside, but the purpose of hermeneutics is not to get the right answers on a whole set of questions. It's to find Jesus. Well, what is the hermeneutics? What, what is the purpose of hermeneutics? He says the purpose of hermeneutics is not to get the right answer. Well, what is it for then? Why, yeah. why do we interpret the Bible? If it's not important to get the right answers, why do we even worry about it? All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. We failed to introduce Nick behind the controls. Nick's here from Jennings, Florida tonight as our guest control runner. Nick, uh, thank you for coming, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you tonight. Good to be with you all. And, uh, Nick, I think you understand the, this idea of uh, uh, needing to have Bible authority for all we do is under constant attack, and uh, this is a, a pertinent subject tonight that we've got to be prepared to, to show why we do need authority for the things that we do. We see Jesus, uh, he did not uh, mind being questioned about where he got his authority from. Uh, in Matthew that. 21, we see they ask him about what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority, and 
and of course he would have been willing to answer them if they would have been truly seeking that. Those were actually the, the, the Pharisees on that occasion, the chief priests and the elders of the people came tempting Jesus, but they actually asked a fair question. I mean, it's the right question to ask. By what authority do you do these things? And who gave you that authority? That's that's a couple of good questions. Jesus, though, because he could read their hearts, knew that they were had impure motives in the question. And uh, and this idea of, you know, hermeneutics is not about having the right answer. We just need to find Jesus. Well, First John chapter 2, verse 3, John says, Hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So finding Jesus means obeying Jesus. Uh, so... You know, we've got it. These folks are saying it doesn't matter if we have authority or if we know what God really wants from us because we just need to know Jesus. Well, that's that's false. You can't know Jesus unless you're doing what he says. Let me read you a couple other quotes here, Jacob, from a from a conference of so-called Christian scholars came this quote. The truth is that biblical theory cannot distill from the current context of the Bible a seamless body of doctrine and no hermeneutical model can find consistent and widespread approval. It's impossible to understand, yeah. basically. Yeah. Here's another from uh, a meeting with uh, of of preachers. One guy said, Nowhere does the New Testament provide an explicit scriptural basis for a restoration principle. No text explic- explicitly states that latter generations should follow the primitive church or restore it. It's not important to be like the primitive church or, or to try and restore it. And one more. One author wrote in his book, on Pentecost, the church was not identified by name, organization, worship, or purpose. Such things at best are only secondary. A restoration of those things is no part of restoring the church. The church which the Lord built is a universal, unstructured entity which defies limiting patterns. Mm. So you see you see what, what we're suggesting is that this notion of having authority for what we do is really under attack almost from all fronts, uh, certainly most uh, denominations don't respect the principles of biblical authority, but even within churches of Christ, we see that there's a, a real lacking in a desire to have Bible for what we do. And uh, what causes us to want to make sure that we have authority for all we do is the confusion and the vision and uh, the various practices in the religious world today. If you at any point in your service to God, say, well, I'm going to do something that God has not told me he is He wants. If you do that at any point, then you must allow everything uh, that is point. to go on in religious uh, if we, if we can, If we can do anything without Bible authority, we can do everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In the chat room, Brad down in Athens, Alabama says, John Gibson, that's the preacher down there in Athens, or one of them, he says he likes to He's use been the phrase, on the program before as well. That's right. He says he likes to use the phrase how to know God's will. That is, instead of using the relative academic term Bible authority, he asks the question, how do we know what God's will is as he has revealed it in his word? And that's really the question. That's what it's about. That's how do we determine yeah. God's will from what's written in the Bible? Yeah, the terms that we're using apparently are part of the uh, the beef that people have with this idea. We don't have to use the terms. It's just common logic that we're talking about. But uh, So John uses the term how do we know what God wants? And it, Brad goes on to explain that's not to say that John shies away from the term or topic of Bible authority, but in particular when he's dealing with someone unfamiliar with the term, he talks about how we know God's will. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I, I really think that's what this is all about. You know, as we said, this this word is sort of a $64 word, Jacob. It gets thrown around a lot, you know, biblical hermeneutics. Yeah. Well, you know, it's easier just to say 
interpreting the Bible. How yeah. do we interpret from what we read? How do we determine what God wants us to do? And we want to look at that uh, when we get back from the break, but uh, it is just common logic, and it's the kind of logic that we use every day. We use it at work when our boss uh, gives us instructions. We use it uh, when uh, we maybe run into the grocery store to pick up something for our wife that uh, she needs for a recipe. Uh, we use it in everyday life. It is nothing that is uh, unusual or is peculiar. Uh, it is uh, just basic logic on how to deduce uh, instructions. Yeah, before we go to our break, let me... Let me read you the questions that we sent out earlier today to our update list. We always remind you, get on that list. If you're not, send an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say, add me to your list, and we'll do it. To our list uh, earlier today, we sent out these questions for consideration and what we'll be discussing in our program tonight. We've already really covered the first one. Do you have quotes or other examples where Christians are arguing against command, example, necessary inference as the methods of establishing Bible authority? Okay. Unfortunately, there is lots of evidence of that. We just yep. gave reference to this. Yes, so, well, did. so when we come back, what we want to do, question two, explain, give examples of authority derived from direct command, approve examples, necessary inference. Number three, what's the difference between general authority and specific authority? Number four, what's an expediency and when do expediencies come into consideration in regards to Bible authority? And finally, discuss how all these factors work together in things like the Lord's Supper, assembling for worship, music, and worship. All right. We'll look forward to hearing from you during the break along the lines of Bible authority. Do you see it under attack today? Maybe you know some uh, uh, specific uh, examples of that uh, when uh, you have seen Bible authority and the, and the idea that we need to have Bible authority for all we do under attack. We'll take a break and get back to the discussion right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten. There it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. No one has ever become poor by giving. The best anecdote I know for worry is work. The best cure for weariness is the challenge of helping someone who is even more tired. One of the great ironies of life is this. He or she who serves almost always benefits more than he or she who is served. Never underestimate the difference you can make. Step forward. Reach out. Help. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight. We're glad that you're joining us. So we talk about Bible authority. Brad's in the chat room tonight uh, from Athens, Alabama. Brad, we're glad that you're listening tonight. Brad listens a lot in the podcast version. 
rarely live, but it's good to have him commenting tonight. Brad said, someone who attacks the idea that we can understand the Bible alike and correctly, that is, as God intended for us to understand it, is really attacking God. God created us. He knows our frailties. A perfect God is capable of recording his words so that his imperfect creation can understand it, or he is not God. And it really is an attack against God. Uh, and it's an and it's a, a, a attack against uh, what Jesus desires from his disciples. He wants his disciples to be unified. And if we can't be unified on what the Bible teaches, then, Nick, uh, it, it is a, a statement against God and against Christ. It's certainly against Christ because he said you can know the truth and the truth can make you free. So uh, either he told the truth about it or he didn't. And, and if we say we can't understand it, uh, it's certainly not his fault. Yeah. Right. Um, Chris in the UK has sent in an email uh, just a few minutes ago, eight minutes ago, it says here on my uh, Also, Chris might be in the chat room tonight. So, Chris, good to have Chris, you. Chris, uh, thanks for being up late in, in England and listening tonight. He says, how do we know the Bible only authorizes by command, inference, and example? Aha. Well, if you can think of another way that we convey information, then bring it on. Yeah. But that's how we convey information. If I want you to do something, Jacob, I either tell you it or i set an example for you to imitate or i i leave it up to you to deduct from other things i've said what i want to do that's necessary inference yeah that's the way we communicate messages to people that's the way humans communicate and that's the way god communicates to us uh it's it's not he said he goes on to say our humor this hermeneutic or our humor is nowhere fleshed out in the new testament in fact he says it's almost self-defeating if only things taught by command example and inference are authorized then command example inference isn't authorized because it's not taught in the uh, by command. He's sort of getting in a loop there. Uh, uh, he, that's a quote he says from Charles Tucker, evangelist of the Din, Dinbeg Church of Christ. I, I assume that's in England. Uh, I just really disagree with that statement. Uh, I actually do think that command, example, and necessary inference is fleshed out in the New Testament. We probably won't get to it tonight, but we might do it on a future virtual Bible study. In Acts chapter 15, mm-hmm. when they uh, they came together in Jerusalem to discuss the issue of circumcision. Now, it's not that they were taking a vote on that question. They were trying to determine what was God's will about Gentile Christians being circumcised. Right. Uh, Peter spoke... Uh, Paul spoke and James spoke. Yeah. And it's been demonstrated that they used the very principles of command, example, and necessary inference to conclude that God did not want Gentile Christians to be obligated for circumcision. Yeah. So if, if you wanted to see a place where I think it is fleshed out, I believe Acts chapter 15 is a good place. But we're just saying that command, example, and necessary inference is how we communicate with one another. Yeah. It's how we get instruction and give instruction, and it's how God instructed us. All right. It's not just a uh, something that we've invented. It is, as you said, just a common logic, common uh, understanding of how instructions are given and how we uh, should be following those. Uh, so... Um, you know, we could we could look at various examples in our life, but you've referenced Acts chapter 15. Should we get into that? And just, no, we're gonna, we're uh, we might say that for another for another study. We want to get into actually demonstrating that the Bible authorizes us in these ways. Okay, all right. Uh, in the chat room, guest 242 says questions concerning individual authorization is a positive command 
example or necessary inference required to direct everything we do personally. Colossians 3.17, whatsoever we do uh, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How can you prove that God is honored when you contribute to a charity versus the examples of direct assistance? How do we know that God is honored when we listen to secular music in a car without a New Testament statement? Okay, well, the question, uh, do we need uh, authority for individual activities? Yes, we do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Well, he as, mentioned it. As, 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 as the listener references there. Yeah. But yes, the question is, do we need authority for all we do personally? Yes, yes. we do. Yeah. And I think as we get into this, we're going to be, we, we want to state the principles yeah. that lead to, uh, the, the, the principles that allow us to answer questions like he asked there, uh, how, do we, is God honored when we listen to secular music in the car without a New Testament statement? Or can you contribute to a charity versus giving money directly to a person in need? Those answers are in the scriptures. The whole thing we're talking about is how do we take the scriptures and understand them so that we can apply them to specific cases in our daily lives? That's yeah. the whole question. Yeah. I'd ask you the I'd ask the listener the question in return. If you're doing something and you're not certain that God is pleased with it, why are you doing it? How would I know? I mean, we don't want to leave the impression that we can't know for sure. Right. Because the scripture says we can, and actually the scriptures command us to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's right. And so we must know that God is pleased with what we're doing or else we shouldn't be doing it. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Let's get into this a little more thoroughly. Let's talk, for instance, about some, some of the ways we know what God wants us to do. One is very simple, and that is that uh, when God tells us directly, commands us to do something, that's that's the easiest one. That's not hard. And again, just basic logic. If God said do this, you better be doing it. If God said don't do this, you better not be doing it. That's us. I mean, if we can't understand and agree on that, then we really do have a problem. But certainly, we have to agree. For instance, thou shalt not kill. That means I shouldn't be killing. Yeah. Or one like Ephesians 6, 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. I don't have to wonder what God wants there. He told me straight out directly I'm supposed to honor my father and my mother. Okay. Right. Uh, j- just uh, last Sunday in, uh, in our Bible class, we were studying in Romans chapter 13. And in Romans chapter 13, mm-hmm. uh, verse 9 Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, notice these are commandments. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, I really don't have any problem with that. I, I can understand that. When it says thou shalt not commit adultery, I don't have to do mental gymnastics to figure out what that means. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, we'd have to ask our question. Are there any listeners that are listening tonight that have a problem understanding that when God gives us a direct command, we need to comply with it? I mean, that seems to me to be a pretty plain black and white kind of thing here. Yeah. And so you can call it a hermeneutic. You can call it a method of interpretation. You can call it how do we know what God wants us to do? Here's part of the answer. You know what God wants you to do when he directly tells you what he wants you to do. That's not hard. No. That's not hard. No. And and how anybody could argue against the fact that 
this is one element of how we go to the Bible and read it and understand God's will. Uh, that befuddles me. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Um, now, um, okay. Uh, so I think uh, Chris in, is in the uh, chat room. He says he's he sent the earlier email he sent uh, from the preacher over in the UK is what uh, he thought you wanted. It wasn't it wasn't his own thoughts. He yeah. was, it was just providing you with people who are right. challenging the ideas. Thank you, uh, Chris, for that. I appreciate uh, that. Guest two forty two. We know because of the general command to love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength. But we don't consistently apply that to the, to the church. You would condemn a church for contributing to a charitable organization for lack of example, but likely support an individual doing the same thing. What about that? I'll say that again. Now, you would you would have a problem with the church contributing to a charity, but you wouldn't have a problem with the individual doing the same thing. Well, that's going to get into the, a principle that is taught in the Scripture that there's a difference between what the church is authorized to do and what I'm authorized to do as an individual yep. Christian. Okay. Now, that's going to be an application of the concepts of Bible authority. Okay. We've talked in the virtual Bible study before about uh, the, the work of the church, what the church is authorized to do. The church is not authorized to do everything I am, as an individual, am authorized to I'd do. I'd reference Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, this is an instruction given to individuals, not to churches. But therefore, as we have our opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And so I'd reference that passage as a, a, a general uh, authority uh, for uh, a Christian on an individual level to give to a charity. Yeah. Uh, d- this is a little off point. We want to get back on point pretty quickly. Yeah. We're not going to get done tonight. But in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, it says, If any provide not for his own, especially those of his own household, he has defi- denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Uh, and so uh, one of our duties is to provide for our own. Back up to verse 4. 1 Timothy 5, verse 4. If any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. So we have a, a personal family responsibility to care for our aged family members. Then, skipping down to verse 16, if, uh, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. You see the distinction there? Individual duty. Take care of your own family, and the church will take care of those who qualify because they don't have family to care for yeah. them. Yeah. Clear distinction between what the church can do and what individuals are commanded to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that that is one of the applications of Bible authority. But we need to get uh, yeah, back. And, 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 and let's 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 stay with on the topic here. Just because someone may not be consistent in their application of the principles we're talking about tonight does not prove that the principles are invalid. Yeah. And so we're talking about ways to interpret the Scripture. And maybe you can show an area where we don't interpret the scriptures like we should, and we're not applying them uh, consistently. And if you can, if you show us that, we want to make sure that we comply with what the scriptures teach. So, you may, you may uh, point my inconsistency, though, does not prove your practice. Right, right. You know, in other words, so if you can demonstrate that we're being inconsistent in application of Bible authority, then then we we need to know that we can change that. But just because we may be inconsistent, unknowingly be inconsistent. Right doesn't mean that you can just abandon Bible authority altogether and do whatever you want. Right, right. Okay. All right. So, all right. Uh, let's uh, talk about... Uh, well, Quickly, we, uh, approved we examples. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, we, there's lots of examples of the church in action. 
In regards to caring for needy widows, for instance, in Acts chapter 6, in Acts chapter 6, there were some widows whose needs were not being met, and the early church in Jerusalem took measures to appoint people to care for those needy widows. It sets a worthy example. In other words, it shows it can be done, should be done. We're authorized to do it because the church, under the direction of those inspired apostles, did it. Mm-hmm. So we have an approved example of the church in action. We could imitate that. Right. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in uh, uh, Philippians chapter uh, uh, let's see uh, uh, Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, verse nine. Paul said, "Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and." seen in me mm-hmm. do and the God of peace shall be with you. So Paul was saying you obey the specifically the things I told you. In other words the commands that I gave, the things you've learned, received and heard, you do but also do the things you saw me do. Yeah. Paul there was there's actually a command to follow apostolic example. Yeah. So certainly so not only do we understand when we read the scriptures what God wants us to do by virtue of what he directly told us to do, we also understand by observing the example of Christians under the guidance of inspired apostles, we call this approved apostolic example. If we do just as they did under the guidance of the inspired apostles, we'd be doing the right thing. All right. Eight, so seven, that's, a, that's another way we know what God wants us to do. Again, it's a command that we should follow the example. So uh, we have uh, two uh ways to know what the Bible teaches here that seem to be fairly clear, uh, logical uh, ways that we would interpret what the scriptures teach, but perhaps you disagree. We'd like to hear your thoughts, or maybe you agree. Uh, now is the time to sign Real the quickly, chat before we go to our uh, mid-hour break, Jacob, let's talk about the third element of this, of this way of understanding God's will for us. We should do what he tells us directly to do. We should imitate the approved example that we find in the scriptures. And thirdly, sometimes we draw conclusions from the information which is supplied. The the, the moniker we've put on that is necessary information. Now, that's another religious term that maybe, uh, you know, you're not necessarily going to use that in uh, everyday language. But uh, but uh, it's, it is a scriptural. Uh, 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 other ways that it's been expressed is an inescapable conclusion. Right. And that may make better sense these days to talk about unavoidable. A, an unavoidable conclusion. Yeah. And, and a good example of that, for instance, is Hebrews 10.25, where it tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Well, if we're commanded to assemble, then there's something implied in the command to assemble, and that is a an assembly place. Yeah. And so we have authority to provide an assembly place since we're commanded to assemble. Yeah. If we're commanded to assemble, we have to have a place to assemble. Therefore, that the command itself implies the authority to provide for such a place. Right. That's what we're talking about by necessary inference. If, if I told you, Jacob, I want you to go to Nashville tomorrow and buy me a bushel of apples. Yeah. Well, there's got to be some way to get to Nashville, right? And so I'd be... We're going to talk here in a minute about general authority and specific authority, but the very fact that I've told you to go to Nashville implies that I expect you to use some reasonable means to get there. Yes, and that's just that's just common sense and logic. We do that every day. Uh, that's how we communicate with people. 
uh, that's how God communicates with us. All right. We're going to get a break, and uh, when we get this week's bullet point, when we get back, we'll continue the discussion, and we want to talk get into some more discussion about how we determine authority. Look at uh, general authority versus specific authority, because the difference between those is also very important in determining what God wants from us. We'll take a break and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. What should we say about a situation where a person desires to obey the gospel, but they've been divorced for an unscriptural reason and now are remarried? There's been lots of controversy on this subject, but it's clear that the basic concept of repentance necessitates a severance of the unscriptural marriage. Without this, the adultery continues and forgiveness is impossible. Some brethren have gone to great lengths in attempts to justify the unscripturally divorced and remarried couple remaining together. Very often an emotional appeal of this nature is made. Quote, I just can't believe that God would require such a difficult thing. Or, quote, how could a loving God demand it? Or, quote, what about the children? These questions can be easily answered by referring to an historical situation that developed in the days following the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. They violated the law of God by intermarrying with people from other nations. What were they instructed to do to resolve this sinful situation? They were told, separate from those mates. Notice Ezra 10, beginning verse 10. Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. The difficulty of this action was compounded by the fact that children had been born to many of those unions, Ezra 10, verse 44. But God's will was clear, and his faithful people saw that it was taught and obeyed. Will we do the same? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate, and I'm three years old, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program. Remind you, this uh, program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We would welcome you to find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, or visiting our services. You can find out more information about them there at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Or if you'd like to find out more just by talking to us or sending us an email, it's 877-381-4567, or send an email anytime, questions at collegeu.com. If you'd like to find out more information about us, we encourage you to contact us. And if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, that email address is a great way for you to send in your uh, suggestion for future topics. And if it may be just a simple question that wouldn't take a long time to answer or discuss, we can include it with other discussion, other questions in our discussion, or maybe you've got one that's more complicated that would take a whole hour to discuss. We would welcome those anytime. Questions at collegeview.com. Uh, Chris in UK has sent in a number of good passages that just emphasizes the the obvious need to imitate the example of, of the inspired apostles. We're commanded to follow their example. So what we're saying, we have commands. Mm-hmm. Then we have commands that tell us to follow their example. Right. And, and here are some of them. Uh, for instance, Philippians 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Mm-hmm. He says Paul was uh, set the pattern and we are directly commanded to follow the example. We are then commanded to follow others who walk or live as he did. Uh, they are all a pattern, a model, an example for us. Note the chain. Jesus set the perfect example. Paul lived by the rules Jesus taught. Then others walked or lived like Paul did. Then we follow or imitate all of them. 
makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, then he makes reference to Philippians 4, verse 9, which we already read. First uh, Thessalonians 1, verses 5 and 6, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word. Paul and, his, and he goes on to say, Paul and his companions had lived a way of life that the Thessalonian Christians had observed that way of life and had become followers of them and Jesus. Uh, we are likewise obligated to follow inspired teachers to the extent they live by the same principles Jesus followed. Mm-hmm. So, and there's several more there, but all of that just emphasizes what we're saying. This is we're not trying to set up our own denominational methodologies. We're just reading the Bible and making application of what it teaches, so that we know what God wants us to do. All right, and. Uh, and certainly we're trying to just use what seems to be reasonable logic here to determine what God wants, not trying to come up with any kind of crazy rules that are uh, just our own invention, but just uh, ways that we would well, normally... Well, the, the, the suggestion is made that this is Church of Christ theology, yeah. that this is our own denominational methodology and we just deny that yeah. we just say this is how you read the bible and understand it just how you'd read any document and understand exactly it. it's how we communicate to one another it's how god communicates to us brad in athens again says one of my favorite passages to prove the validity of necessary inference is mark 12 26 and 27 jesus makes very clear that the sadducees should have inferred necessarily or not been able uh, to avoid the conclusion that there is a resurrection because God spoke in the present tense. There's nothing at all explicit in the burning bush passage about resurrection, but Jesus concludes that the dead rise because God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You remember that's in Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, that's really good, Brad. That's that's Jesus quoting what God said to Moses at the burning bush. At the burning bush, when God appeared to Moses to give him the job, go back to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. When God was speaking to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am. He used the present tense. And Jesus said, what do you draw from that? He's talking to people who don't believe in life after death. But he says, what do you, basically, he says, what conclusion would you draw from the fact that God used present tense verbs? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was inferring that God is that that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living. Yeah, because God used the present tense. Yeah. So I think Brad's right. There's an example of using just using common sense, drawing conclusions from things said. That's Deductions or conclusions. That's unavoidable right. uh, or inescapable conclusions. Necessary inference. That's what we're talking about. All right. Uh, Chris in the UK did send an email earlier today. He says saying that there are obviously commands. Uh, and Jesus gives himself as an example, not to mention Paul. And inferences can be made, like we are not told of baptismal immersion, but you have to get into the water to come up out of it. Uh, as to the difference between general, okay, so so Chris is saying there there are ways uh, that we we have to interpret scripture. And for instance, the baptism being an immersion is one that we do. Uh, we we can we can conclude that the word itself means immersion. But uh, we can also conclude or infer from it, uh, from other things that are said about baptism, that it would have to be an immersion. We need to move on quickly, Jacob, to to get to some of these other things that are involved in this broad question of Bible authority. We ask, what's the difference between general authority and specific authority? Well, it's pretty obvious. Specific authority is specific and general authority is general. I think that's what what Christian UK sent in in an email. 
But but more to the point, specific, of course, means precisely formulated, restricted, explicit. Specific authority limits one to what is precisely stated. The example that we always give is Noah when he was told by God to build an ark. And, he, and God said, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Noah had specific authority there. He was told to use gopher wood. And therefore, when God specified that, he excluded the possibility that Noah could use any other kind of wood. That's specific authority. All right. Uh, little funny uh, observation in the chat room. See, uh, now, now, Chris in the U.K. is making an inference from uh, what he reads about in the chat room, but he, is, he has made the wrong inference. He says uh, he, we're international, the U.S., U.K., and Greece. Well, Greece... Uh, Athens uh, is in Greece, but that's not the Athens that, that, yeah, uh, yeah, that Chris, Brad is that in. Brad is, is not far away from us here in Tennessee. He's yeah. in, in North Alabama. Yeah. There's an not Athens. Not nearly as exotic as Athens, yeah, Greece. It's a nice place, but it's not, it's not, it's <laughs> not exotic as Athens Not necessarily a tourist destination. Yeah, 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 thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, just for clarification, uh, Chris, Brad is in Athens, Alabama, just, just in the northern, very northern part of Alabama, just below the Tennessee state line. All right. Thank you, for Chris, for your commenting tonight. <laughs> All right. Um, and Brad says they don't say y'all in Greece. I don't think I think that's right. No, they don't. All right. So we talked about specific authority. When God specifies something, we are limited to do just what he specified us to do. That's specific authority. Yeah. General authority is when all of the methods or ways for doing a thing are included. And the example that we often like to give is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The command to go is generic or general, and every form of going that's that's legal and ethical would be included in in the command to go. Uh, in 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 the new in the New Testament in the first century, Paul walked by foot, he rode on animals, he traveled by ship. Those were the ways of going yeah. in those days, and he used them all. Yeah. We have new ways of going now. We have cars and planes, and we have the Internet, and we have radio and TV. All our ways of going, right. in other words, to get the messenger in touch with the one that he intends to teach, and all are authorized because Jesus said go. Yeah. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. Now, uh, you, you might think of some illegal ways of going. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to steal a car. Yeah. And drive to my preaching appointment. Yeah. Well, no, that's not authorized. That would yeah. that would be an unauthorized uh, uh, choice because that would be uh, breaking God's law right. to get it done. Okay. Again, just logical ways to make conclusions about what God has said. You know, the same thing we would conclude with uh, when uh, you, you know you're stopping at the grocery store on your way home for your wife, and uh, she says, "I need you to pick up some butter." And if that's all she says, then you would be at liberty to pick up whatever kind of ever kind of butter you wanted there, but maybe she says, "I want you to get brand X because it's on sale this week." Well, then if you're going to, when she specified, then she she didn't give you the the the, the freedom to choose of among all the varieties. All right, Nick. I was going to say if we could send our kids in the store with a twenty dollar bill and told them to get a gallon of milk, we don't have to name everything on the shelf tell them not to get all we've done is authorize them to get milk right right and uh, so when we specify something we eliminate all other possibilities right and that's the way god does i mean it's just common sense it's it's the way we communicate 
Yeah. I keep saying this, but it's how we communicate with one another, and it's how God communicates with us. All right. Real quickly, before our break, Jacob, I ask about expediencies. What is an expediency, and when do expediencies come into consideration in regards to Bible authority? An expediency, by definition, is a means to an end. Uh, it involves a choosing that which is fit or suitable for the purpose. Uh, and so scriptural expediencies are only uh, uh, allowed when God has given us general authority. <clears throat> In other words, let's go back to that command to go. The command to go is a general command. I think an expedient way to go today is by automobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could, for instance, last week I was in Kansas City with the church there. Kansas City. I could have walked to Kansas City. You could. But it wouldn't have been a very good choice. It wouldn't have been a very expedient way to get there to do the yeah. preaching. Yeah. Turns out that in that case, uh, the the best choice seemed to be to fly to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. Yeah, so, you know... Uh, those choices were available, and you make a good one, a means to an end. Right. Uh, and that's what an expediency But it's only, we can only employ expediencies or make such judgment calls when things are generally authorized, not when they're specified. Well, Noah could not have said, well, God said build an ark of gopher wood, but actually, in my opinion, pine is easier to work with, and so I'm going to use pine. No, he could he couldn't make that call yeah. because God had specified. When God specifies, then you don't have uh, the option to make a different judgment. All right, Brad, it's, it's interesting you make that comment because Brad in Athens, Alabama, again, uh, references Noah just now as you were beginning to speak. Regarding the expediencies, Noah is another good example. God did not specifically authorize what tools Noah must use to build the ark. God just told him to build it. Noah was therefore free to use a saw, an axe, a hammer, a wood plane to make nails, perhaps to build scaffolding. The list could go on. So God was specific in the type of wood, but he left the other details to Noah's discretion. That's right. That's um, Chris in UK asks, so is a potluck an appropriate way of going and preaching the gospel? No, a potluck is not preaching the gospel. It's not going. And so, no, I, I, w- I would say those would not, uh, that a pot, having a potluck, is not an appropriate way of going and preaching. Not even is not even a way of going and preaching. Right. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a break. We are over time. When we get back, you want to look at some examples on how we establish Bible authority. Yeah. Use Bible we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll just look we at put, putting these principles into actual application. You've got three that we want to look at, and maybe you have some examples as well on how we apply the principles that God has given us, uh, the logical principles we've talked about tonight in determining what God wants from us, from determining God's will for us, how we apply those in certain uh, examples. We'll talk about those when we get back. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? 
Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of the Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The amount the U.S. spends annually on imported toys is $23,631,000,000. The amount spent by the next 10 highest toy importing countries combined is $21,729,000,000. That information is via Harper's Magazine. Luke 12, verse 15 says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program, going to go to the top of the hour. Looking at examples now, we've talked about ways that we can deduce what God wants from us from the Scriptures. Again, nothing that is extreme or radical here. It's this is very logical. It's what you would do in everyday life. When you were looking at any kind of document, if you were trying to get instructions out of it, look for direct commands, uh, look for examples that you could deduce if they were approved and it and it worked. Uh, if God was pleased with it in the in the past, He would be pleased with it uh, for us today. And then uh, the necessary inference or what or unavoidable conclusions. Three ways that you would look at any document. And uh, the way we would look at the Bible. As yeah, well. Randy uh, in Michigan just chimed in the chat room. And he, he says, we are told to, if we love God and keep his commandments, th- therefore we, we are told that we must love God and keep his commandments, therefore we must understand what his commandments are. We we can understand, he says, and I think that's exactly right. Uh, and Chris in uh, the U.K. says, yes, you can pick and choose if the commands are, for example, just for Israel, like the tithe. Well, obviously we make the point that we're not living under the old testament law anymore colossians 2 14 through 16 tells us that, that law was abolished when jesus died on the cross we now live under the new testament will of jesus christ so so we're not just willy-nilly just uh, throwing instructions away no we got instructions that tell us which ones we need to be following and so, well just like we, we've used noah as an example tonight noah was commanded to build an ark i'm not commanded to build an right. ark So we have to understand to whom are the commands addressed. We believe that the the commands that are contained in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, the law God gave through Moses to the nation of Israel was for them, and it ended when uh, when Jesus died on the cross. God told Abraham to offer his sacrifice his son. You better not be following that instruction today because it wasn't given to you. Yeah. All right. All right. Just some real quick applications here. Let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper has been pointed out that it's a good example because we use all three elements that we've been talking about, okay. command, example, and necessary inference. We mm-hmm. use all three elements in 
and determining what God wants us to do in the Lord's Supper. For instance, we're commanded to observe the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 24, this do. In other words, this memorial uh, practice of the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me. So we're commanded to do it. Approved example lets us know when we are to do it. Uh, that comes from Acts 20, verse 7, when we see the Apostle Paul together with the church at Troas on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. So we know we're, we're commanded to do it. We know we are to do it on the, the first day of the week by virtue of example. Yeah. There's not any command that tells us what day to observe the Lord's Supper. But we know people did with God's approval. Because the inspired the Apostle the Paul was there. Yeah. When those Christians met on the first day of the week. We're supposed to imitate him. So he was taking on the first day of the week with God's approval, then we should as well. So we've got a command, do it. We have an example of when to do it. And then notice how necessary inference comes to play in this matter. So we're supposed to do it on the first day of the week. Could I ask which first day of the week are we supposed to do it on? Well, since... Since it didn't say that it was a specific Sunday, it just said it was the first day of the week. It didn't say the first Sunday of the month or the first Sunday after the spring equinox. Or right. It didn't specify a Sunday. So what we infer then is that this was a regular practice every Sunday of those Christians. So we're commanded to do it. We know where to do it on the first day of the week. We infer from the information that has been provided that this was at every first day of the week practice of saints and therefore that's why we do it every first day of the week all right so you got all three there command example and uh inference or conclusion uh, in the lord's supper we think those are valid uh we think it's logical and reasonable and uh so there you go yeah uh let's talk about another example let's talk about music in worship um i think i think uh maybe uh brad before he ended is uh, before he jumped out of the chat room there, he made a point uh, along this line. He says, a good example about expediency, it's not an expediency if you're not do, using it to do something you have authority. For example, a songbook is an expediency because it aids in singing. A piano is not an expediency because playing is not authorized. I think he's exactly right. So in regards to our music and worship, we have to determine, are we going to use song books or sing from memory? Mm-hmm. Books seem to be a good expediency because it keeps us all together. Because yeah. you know, if we start singing by memory, the way you memorize that song might be significantly different than the way I memorize right. that song. Right. And then it ends up being kind of chaotic. Okay. We, we maintain order better if we but, sing from books. But you're still singing. But we're still singing. We're not doing anything different. Okay. It's just an aid. It's assist us in doing what we're commanding. Right. Uh, we, we could decide whether we're going to sit or stand while singing. We can determine how many songs we're going to sing. That would have us all still abiding within the law of God, which says sing. Mm-hmm. But what we couldn't do is bring an instrument of music into the act mm-hmm. because then we've added something. We've added an element. Now right. we're not just singing. We're singing and playing. Right. And that's not authorized. Right. So uh, you see how... Uh, we we take the available information, what's commanded, what's 
uh, what examples we have, what's inferred, and we and we get get the whole picture, and we draw a final conclusion. Now, now maybe the, this whole music thing is a sticking point for you. Well, let's just let's change it. No, let's not make it music. Let's say we're going to sing, and we're going to do some provocative dancing. But yeah. what 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 would be wrong with that? Okay, so we're going to sing, and while we're singing, we're going to have uh, a, a woman dancing a very suggestive dance. Right. right. Why, why why couldn't we do that? Well, yeah. I, I suppose I, that may not be the best example be because bit, yeah, some, somebody might yeah, say, well, the problem with the dancing is that it's, it's provocative, it's lasciviousness. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, well, we, well, let's make it something more. We're going to sing and have flying trapeze. Yeah, we're gonna or we're gonna sing and have a guy. Uh, while we're singing, we're gonna have a guy uh, uh, rebuilding a car engine yeah. uh, in the front of the auditorium to our singing. Yeah. He's going to be choreographing the singing with his with his mechanic work as he uh, rebuilds a car engine. I mean, that's that's ridiculous too, obviously. But what we're saying is, singing is authorized. Other things done. Besides singing, that are not expedient aids to the singing, are not authorized. We don't do them. All right, uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, you had uh, assembling for worship. Assembling for worship. We know we're commanded to assemble for worship. Hebrews ten twenty five. There's the authority. We're going to have to use some expediencies to determine the place of assembly. Yeah. It could be in a private home. It could be in a rented facility. It could be in owned property. We can decide because it's general authority. We have the option to use our judgment to make the best decision where we're going to meet. We will have to decide what time of services. For instance, we're to we're to come together on the first day of the week to take the Lord's Supper. Well, we could say we're going to do that at 3 a.m. in the morning. That's the Lord's Day, and 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 so it would it would fit the command. But it sure wouldn't be a very expedient thing if we all had to get up at three o'clock in the morning right. to be here. Right. So it'd be a bad judgment. It'd be it'd be an authorized judgment. It'd be a bad judgment. Okay. So right. again, we're just using common sense rules of interpretation. And when we talk about Bible authority, what we're talking about is how do we know what God wants us to do? It's it's just that easy. And it is important to know. Otherwise, we get relegated to the scenario that um, our emailer David suggested that no one really can tell. And it, it, you just have to do whatever you sort of want to do. And uh, we're just in this sort of abyss where we can't tell if God likes it or if he doesn't. There's no way to know. That, and that's that that would really be a very frightening position to be in. And, it, and thankfully, it's, that's not the case. All right. Nick, uh, we have not talked with you as much as we should have tonight. Uh, any uh, closing comments from you? It certainly uh, is an important subject. It is. I, uh, I've, I've just enjoyed being with you on the program and... A lot of good comments. Thank you for running the board for us tonight. A good job, too. You're getting good at it. Uh, Dad, thanks for the discussion tonight. Very important one. Constantly under attack, and we've got to be uh, ready to defend it. Command, example, necessary inference. It's it's how we know what God wants us to do. All right. Thank you for listening to the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.